Father, we thank you, Lord, that, that you're on time. <laughs> we thank you, Lord, that you know exactly what each and every one of us needs at the moment that we need it. So, Father, just let me be a conduit. Just let me be a messenger. Let your words flow. Let your truth be known. We ask you, Lord, to confirm everything by your scripture, by your word as a good foundation and give us that revelation and more so at this time, minister to your people wherever we are, wherever they're at. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said. Okay, so <clears throat> I had written to you about the fountains. The fountains of the deep and the fountains of the heavens opening up. It was a wonderful message which you're not going to hear. So at that point, the Lord, as I was uh, wrestling, I guess in my spirit some, these are the things that I kept getting from him. And I then even saw it, if you will, in a bit of a, uh, I don't want to call it a vision, I just saw the word. And it was this, and how many of you know, well, let's see how we put this on. Where's that at? Right there. How many of you know, I think I've got this. Do I have this? I don't have this. All right, I'm trying. Oh, I know what the problem is. I didn't put the pencil on. My fingers don't work. How many of you know what that sign is? Greater than. How many of you know what this sign is? Those are the two that I saw. And this sign said, wondrous, and I'm going to leave these up, majesty of and power of His glory. And this one said, decrease, because I want to get the words exactly as I kept seeing them, the pride and lust of the flesh. And I found it to be, first of all, a little bit self-deprecating. <laughs> I said, oh my Lord. So I went through about 30 minutes of repentance because I didn't want to dare touch that without dealing with me first. You see, I don't, I'm not arrogant and proud enough to believe that I just get a message for everybody else. I think the first I get it, it's moi, and I need to eat it, and I need to wear it. And so after that, and I began to feel, okay, maybe now I'm, 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 I'm confident enough to let's go for this Lord, I began to develop it more and more. Now, we know that we are in a different era in the kingdom of God than we were coming into October. I say that confidently, and I say it with all my heart. We, in the kingdom of God, and the world itself has crossed the threshold. And it's not going to be the same as it was prior. Now, it wasn't just the incident in Israel. It's everything leading up to it. And it's the fact that those of us who are alive today, we know that the Lord is coming back. If, if you're walking in the Lord, you know He's coming back. And we're starting to get a sense of urgency that it's not going to be put off for a long time. Now, we're not going to be those who say in a week, a month, a year, or even a decade, although 
We start to stretch it when we maybe get to a decade, don't we? So we say in this instance, what are we to do? And we've been convinced that we're the ones, along with many others, who will drink of that fountain to cry out as Isaiah said. And let's go to Isaiah 40 and set the foundation for this chapter. 40 in Isaiah, starting in verse 3. Now remember the timeless mindset. Prophetic word, even some of the words of Jesus Christ, were said in that moment, but they were meant to be timeless. And such as it was with Isaiah. He was all over the place. He had a moment, a word for the moment. He had a word for the time. He had a word for the people that they needed at that moment. But then he had a timeless word. And he himself didn't really understand it, I'm sure. But yet at the same time, he knew it was the word of God. And in this instance, he was speaking about the first and second coming of the Lord without even understanding what he was doing. And he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Next verse. Every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough places smooth. Next verse. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now, that was partially fulfilled in the first coming, and John the Baptist uh, was preaching out in the wilderness and baptizing for repentance, to prepare the way for the coming of the Messiah. We understood those two eras crossed each other. John and the law, who made a step forward into the kingdom of Christ, Christ himself there, and there was one decreasing and the other one increasing. John himself, I must decrease so that he increases. And there we sit today in that same place, standing between what some would refer to as the enlightened age of the church, the church age, and others to what, for lack of other words, is called the kingdom age, the coming of the king, the second time here on earth. Now, the glory of the Lord was revealed the first time, but not in the same way it's going to be revealed this next time. And all flesh didn't see it together, but all flesh shall see him together this time when he comes. And the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. So as we look at that, there's some assessment and analysis that helps us a lot. I want to draw a parallel between the kingdom of God and what I call the prepare the way anointing. Because the Lord will always anoint what must happen and who must be those in transition. Always does. And so there's a special anointing for that moment. And that's also reserved in the kingdom. And some of it we get a glimpse of the way Jesus told us to pray. He said, you pray our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, holy be thy name. Thy kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. So we can get into the whole debate about kingdom. There's a lot said and a lot that probably shouldn't be said about it, but let's just make it very simple. Jesus is the king of the kingdom. And Jesus came. And his words were very clear to us, oftentimes and more than not, about the kingdom. 
In Christianity, the kingdom's that realm of spirituality over which God reigns, Jesus is king, and it's the fulfillment on earth of God's will. So we see this quite frequently in, in the New Testament and throughout the Gospels. Jesus gave us many parables himself about the kingdom. For example, let's look at Matthew chapter 13, verse 31. 1331 Matthew, he said, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all the seeds, but when grown, it's taller than the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the sky come and nest in its branches. He then said in Luke 17, verse 20, The kingdom of God is not coming with things that can be observed, nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there it is, for in fact, the kingdom of God is among you. And we go on and on and receive many different parallels, some that are very simplistically defined and others which require some revelation. But let it suffice to say that the kingdom of God is in you. The kingdom of God is in you. The kingdom of God is in heaven. The kingdom of God is on earth. But the king is coming back to his kingdom here on earth. So we get the different flashes of revelation of the kingdom. Now let's get a little bit deep with each other. So Jesus said, pray, our Father in heart in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Well, if the kingdom's in you, how are you praying the kingdom to come? And if the kingdom is the king coming, then we understand how we're praying that to happen. And we begin to, to get a hint of all this really described better in the Pauline epistles. Because I'm sure Paul dealt with this stuff also. And he was seeking to get some wisdom about it. And in so doing, he takes us to the book of Ephesians. And in Ephesians, we have some wonderful revelation. Starting in Ephesians chapter 1. And I just want to highlight some scriptures together as we go forward in this. I wish we could do a Bible study in it, but we can't today. Ephesians is an amazing epistle of Paul. First of all, in verse 3 of chapter 1, Paul says, Blessed be the God. Now remember, that's very Jewish, right? Baruch Hatah. Blessed be the God. And Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. So when we're tapping into let thy kingdom come here, in essence we're saying let all those spiritual blessings that are in Christ in heavenly places flow into earth, flow into us, and be accessible to us now. That contradicts a lot of religion, doesn't it? A lot of religion will tell you that, you know, even if there's some who believe they're going to get to heaven, they're going to believe that you're not going to be able to access all the blessings of God until you're in the great by and by. I was uh, talking to somebody a couple days ago who reached out to me, and, and a, a person I knew from a long time ago, and he was very depressed. He had lost his wife to cancer. He's a very good man. I've known him for years. 
and uh, he has cancer himself. And he, he went to his local pastor, his priest, and was, was there seeking some consolation about his wife who had passed away two years ago, and his pastor, his priest, told him, you know, we really don't understand after death. It's a mystery. He said, we could only just believe and understand and wait to wait on God. And he left him at that point. And I could understand why the man, because when he called me after we talked for 45 minutes about all of the issues and problems, he said, will you pray for my wife? I said, no. He got quiet. He said, why? I said, I don't need to pray for your wife. You told me she believed in Jesus. You told me she went to church. You see, whomsoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So I said, brother, you don't need us to pray for her. We need to pray for you. And so I shared. And it broke and lifted him up. Because of the enlightenment of the truth of God. And so we take so many things for granted because of our faith and who we are and what we're exposed to. And some of us are stuck in a rut, right? But when the light comes into the darkness, everything changes. And keep him in prayer. His name's Rocky. He's having a massive surgery of his bladder on the 19th in a couple days. I told him I'm believing God for a miracle. And he told me he could believe God for a miracle with me. But most of all, I'm believing God that he can become the patriarch of his family, his couple daughters and his seven grandchildren, and show them the light of the world in this moment. You see, we need a foundation. Everyone needs a foundation. Now, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings and heavenly places in Christ. If that is true, and I believe that's true, then I don't know about you, but I can tell you about me. I, I want to access some of those things. I, I want to I believe that God is going to open the fountain of heaven and the windows of heaven, and through his Holy Spirit and the administration of Jesus Christ, that he's going to impart those blessings to you and to me. And those blessings aren't just only things that we don't see. They manifest here on earth, Right? And we also know that there's blessings in heaven from earth that are going to manifest from earth to heaven. You know, one of the questions, you get a lot of questions if you've lived long enough, <laughs> survived long enough as a pastor, and they come in all forms. You know, there are, and, and, and my wife and I were one, you know, we, we had a couple dogs we really loved, right? I mean, I had my first dog, his name was Fritz, he was my buddy on the farm, and, you know, when Fritz died, I was crushed. I got up that morning as a young boy, 11 years old, and looking for my friend. And he was gone, you know, and I let that go. And then my wife and had two dogs, and, and they were great dogs, one big, one small, and they both died within six months of each other. And, you know, it was grief time. And uh, my wife, Laura Lee especially, she grieved about that for a while because they, they just, those dogs just loved on her all the time, especially while I was working and traveling. So many times people ask me, you know, Pastor, I know they say pets don't have souls, but will we ever see them again? Well, I think a pet's a gift. So I, I'm believing I'm going to see my dogs again. Now, you could say, Frank, that doesn't matter. No, it doesn't matter, but I'll bet you they'll be real happy to see me. And, 
at CU, and God created them, and all good things are created by God for us, right? To bless us. Now let's stretch it to the bigger point. I believe there's spiritual blessings that we've not yet tapped into here on earth. You know, the church, we tend to believe that we've arrived and we've just about seen everything. And I want to tell you, we haven't seen anything yet. You haven't seen anything yet to when the Lord will stop a bullet from hitting you in the head and you'll watch it fall to the ground, right? I have that kind of faith. You won't believe anything until when, you know, you're running out of food and then all of a sudden, just like in the times of Elijah, there's more meal and all of a sudden there's more food and it duplicates itself. We haven't seen anything yet until we see the dead being raised one after the other because of the faith of the people. We haven't seen anything yet until we can see people being delivered of addictions just like that over and over and over and over. We haven't seen anything yet until we could see the word of the Lord preached and it won't be able to be stopped, not by government, not by soldiers, not by media, not by anything, that the word of the Lord will go out and be powerful. You see, I have enough faith, and I believe that that's where we're headed. I believe that's where we're headed. We're headed, some may call it a double portion. I'm calling it high octane. I believe we're about ready to see the high octane of the living God pour out upon this earth. And I believe that he's going to do that with people who are willing to minister high octane. Right? I mean, I encourage you, I encourage everybody, never quit praying for someone to be healed. I don't care if they're on their last hour and somebody's told you that it's beyond hope. I don't care if they've been dead a day or two. Pray if the Lord tells you to pray because you just might see that miracle. And then you know what? You don't need to explain it. You don't need to walk with your head down. You just, you just tuck her back up and go again. Believe in God and the faith of God because he's God. But if we don't, he won't a lot of times. And so we just need to be bold in the face of everything. And that's a holy boldness that's coming out with this prepare, prepare the way anointing. That's why one of the reasons I believe that Jesus said there was no greater prophet at that time than John the Baptist, and he was comparing him to a lot of amazing prophets, right? I mean, John doesn't even have a a book in the Bible. John didn't really prophesy anything other than say, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. It was like, I'm not even sure if he knew. He certainly didn't know when it was Jesus, but he did, but then he didn't. It was his own cousin, and he said, I'm not worthy to baptize you. Jesus said, you need to for righteousness sake. But when he was in prison and the lights were about to go out, he had to hear one more time that this was the Messiah so he could check out with peace. He wasn't certain. But we we can't be that way. We have to be absolutely certain that the Lord Jesus is coming back. And we have to understand that with this anointing, we have a boldness, a holy boldness that's not only likened unto what John the Baptist had and what the disciples had, but I believe it's even more powerful. I believe it's more powerful because the Lord is merciful and he wants that message to go out and he wants people to have every opportunity to get their hearts right and to repent for him coming. Because when he comes back, we all know it's not the way he came the first time. And we all know that judgment comes with the king. And so if we pray for souls and love for souls, you know, we have to be bold and passionate and be available and willing So there's a a parallel now between the kingdom of God and the prepare the way anointing. 
The prepare the way anointing is that same precursor, except amplified that it was with John the Baptist preparing for the first coming. And here we are with that anointing to prepare for the second coming. And just like the first coming, many in the world are not going to accept it. And they're not going to believe that this could even happen. And then we have the own turmoil within the church. When we say the church, believers, you know, contesting and debating about a trib, a pre-trib, a post-trib, and a whole bunch of garbage that means nothing. Because God's not going to come to any person's handbook. It's not going to happen. In fact, I've tend to seen in history that he loves to be a surprise. You know, march around that place seven times, watch what I'll do. What do you think those people were thinking while they were marching, looking at an enemy with all kind of weapons? They put their weapons down and they're blowing trumpets. Or how about when Gideon, you know, Gideon, you got too many people. No, Lord, I got, no, no, you got too many people. No, 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 you still got too many people. Lord, I don't even have enough. Now you can go. Now you can go. Moses, just go up against the water. Watch what I'm going to do. Lord, they're going to kill us. They're capturing us. They're going to just go up against the water. And he said, you see that staff you've been walking around with to keep yourself erect and to look real prophetic and holy? He says, stick that thing in the water. Watch what I'm going to do. And Lord, we, we want to go straight. We want to go straight to the promised land. No, 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 don't do that because you're not, you're not war hardened. You need to go the long way and let me get you in there. And all the time, all the time, the Lord never measures up to what humans want. He always measures up so that he gets the glory. So if you get anything from this, this pastor who's been around a little while, throw all that crap out about the rapture, pre-rapture, mid-toast, pre-toast, this, that. Get rid of it because all it's going to do is dissuade you. Let's be focused that Jesus is coming back. And that, you know, I want to I, I be so focused on that that nothing distracts us from what our purpose is. And our purpose is to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord, not to prepare for us to escape the coming of the Lord. Hmm? Does it make sense to you? And you know, the reason I bring that out to you is because as we cross this threshold, there was some stuff released, and I, I don't take anything as a coincidence. And all of a sudden, the zeal again for the great disappearance and everything came out. And it came out almost at the same time that we crossed the threshold. And it sounds appealing, right? Because, hey, the world's afraid. And people want, you know, an escape ticket. We want to get out. And so that message comes out again, but it can't really be supported in the Word of God. Not infallibly. And we shouldn't preach stuff that isn't infallibly supported in the Word of God. So, I don't care. You know, as I was in the middle of the night, the Lord took me to Ezekiel 33. <laughs> and he takes me there a lot. And it's about the watchman. And the Lord says the watchman that I set up is to proclaim what I tell the watchman to do. And if you don't, the blood is on your hands. But if you do and they don't listen, the blood is on their hands. Now, it's not a matter of wanting clean hands. It's a matter of the fear of the Lord. And whether I like it or not, I'm a watchman. It's your choice if you are. It's your choice if you are. Read Ezekiel 33 and see if it grabs you, especially about the watchman. 
And he would set the watchman up, and he said, set the watchman up so that the watchman can clearly see. And when it's time to sound the alarm, sound the alarm. So having said that with eyes that are open as a watchman and understanding that there's a parallel now between the kingdom coming, the kingdom on earth, we have to realize that when we look at the wondrous mighty power of his glory versus the pride and lust of the flesh, let's deal with that for a moment because I think it's going to open our eyes up. First of all, before we deal with the glory, let's, let's deal with some of the flesh. Galatians 5, verse 16. You know, I call these the dirty laundry scriptures. <laughs> these are the ones that you wish you never had to read and you didn't have to read them again. You never wanted to preach them. And you sure pray that something there isn't my size, right? This is the dirty laundry scriptures. I say then, walk in the Spirit and you shall not feel the lust of the flesh. I mean, for me, that would have been enough, right? Paul, leave that alone. Walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. But he wasn't satisfied with that. He wanted to make us really disgusted, right? Let's go on. And then he goes, next verse, For the flesh lusts against the Spirit. Yes, we understand that. The two are opposing each other. And the Spirit against the flesh. Gotcha. Punch, counterpunch. And these are contrary to another. Right. So that you do not... Do the things that you wish. What? What did he just say? He said, most of the things that you wish to do, don't do them. <laughs> he didn't say, do not do somebody. Do not do the things that you wish. Basically, what Paul was saying is, on your own, if you're just giving into the dirty laundry, you're just going to do dirty things. Go on. I mean, that's pretty, that's pretty powerful. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Okay, so now he's going back to the Jewish roots and getting us out of the law. Let's go back again. Now, the works of the flesh, oh boy, here we go, are evident. Now, I'm, I would never ask anybody to start checking boxes, right? Say, let's go up, and if that's you, come up, run up here and check a box. But I will ask you to sort of take an inventory of yourself. Take it in, because I did that again this morning for 30 minutes. And I, the first couple I was okay with. Adultery got no problem. Fornication got no problem. Uncleanness, I don't know what that means. What's uncleanness? Uncleanness. What is that? Do you know what it means? Have you really stopped to think about it? Well, uncleanness could be a whole range from one to a thousand in, in our meter of what's bad and worse and, and the worst, right? I mean, I could think about some uncleanness things in this last week that agitated me, that got me, right? I don't, you can't. I know you're all good and perfect and everything's wonderful, but I'm willing to, to get naked before you, and that's a bad sight. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness. How many of you even know what lewdness is? Huh? Somebody tell me, what's lewdness? I saw hands up, but I don't hear any voices. Crude? Yeah, it's partly crude. What else? Anti-God? No, that's not lewdness. That's reprobate. What else? Sonny? If I say, Sonny, you're lewd. Harsh? Lewdness is sort of like a conflagration of a whole bunch of bad personality traits. <laughs> a whole bunch of stuff you don't want. 
and it all comes together and tossed together as one salad, and it's called lewdness. Well, I believe Paul did that so that none of us would say, that's not me, right? That's not me. No, I'm not like that. Well, are you ever short-tempered? Do you ever impatient? Do you, you know, sort of give up on something? I mean, we could just go on and on, right? I'm not here, I'm not here trying to, to read your mail. I'm reading my own mail. But let's go on, because we're talking about what he said this morning very early to me was that the wondrous power and majesty of the glory must increase and that the pride and lust of the flesh must decrease. And this is some of that stuff. Idolatry. Well, you know, we've all been taught about or you should have been about idolatry. Idolatry could be anything that you put before the Lord in your life. Sorcery. Boy, I'll tell you what. How many of you ever used the word lucky? Huh? I was lucky. I didn't have luck. That's sorcery. That's sorcery. There ain't no such thing as luck to God. Right? That's sorcery. So that's just the beginning of starting. How do I get lucky? <laughs> I get, I'm going to buy a ticket. I'm going to buy a lottery ticket. I'm going to pray over it and get lucky. Hatred. Oh, my Lord Jesus. Hatred. How many of us believe that we've had the right to hold on to hatred to somebody or something? Hmm? Hmm? I was sharing with uh, somebody just shortly ago that I was in a, uh, I won't say where it was, it was in a church locally here, invited about seven years ago for some, seemingly it was going to be a prophetic conference, but it wasn't. And um, the prophet of that house, not that house, but the visiting prophet, lined everybody up. Someone from our church went there, and I slapped them after they came back because I said, don't you let anybody put hands on you. And they got down to this young man with long hair. He had an army jacket on. And I'm looking at all those people down there, and, I, and, and he's sticking out to me. I see the light on that young man. And he comes up to him, and he starts berating him. You shouldn't look like this. You know, your father's a pastor. You're representing your... He just berated this guy for about a minute and a half and then went on. This kid came walking back like this. And, of course, you know, I went after him. And I grabbed him and I said, let's go outside a second. I said, son, you look good to me. He looked back up at me. He says, I think I'm going to go home. I said, where's home? He said, St. Louis. My dad sent me here, he said, but I don't belong here. He said, I don't fit here. And I said, well, what do you do at your home church? He said, I'm the youth pastor. I said, so what are you going to do when you go home? He said, I'm going to resign. I said, no, you're not. He goes, yes, I am. I said, no, you're not. I said, that idiot that let loose on you, that's no prophet. I said, that's a reprobate mind. He goes, what's that? I said, that's a man who doesn't have a clue what he's doing in the name of God. I said, he should have been building you up, loving you, and kissing you. I said, son, I see the light of God all over you. He began to cry. We hugged. And I said, now, I'm going to agree with you. One thing, he said, what? I said, go home, because I am too. Get out of here. I said, but go serve the Lord and become a pastor. And he wrote me something afterwards. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Contentious? <laughs> None of you ever contend with anybody, right? You don't contend. They cut you short some money, you know, when you're buying something. You don't contend. You say, thank you very much. That was very appreciated. I didn't take your money. Well, I, you know, I don't want to contend with you, but you shorted me $100. No, I didn't. Oh, I'm going to let you go because I don't want to be contentious. Jealousies. Oh, Lord Jesus. Jealousies. That flesh can't let go of jealousies. 
People get jealous about everything, right? Come on, come on. Outbursts of, none of you ever have an outburst of wrath, right? Y'all, Kim, Ralph, y'all are good, right? No problems, you two, you're all, you're all good. You're all good, you and Jack. Never have an outburst of wrath, right? No, check that box. Selfish ambitions, woo, woo. Oh, there's no such thing as <laughs> selfish ambitions in the church. Well, why is so-and-so getting promoted to do that? And what about me? I've been here eight years. They just came. What's going on? Entitlement goes along with selfish ambitions, doesn't it? We all think it. Don't say you don't. Dissensions. Oh, no. I mean, Paul was so bad, he covered everything. It's like, he gave us no wiggle room, you know? It was like, let me just go right through all this stuff and... I'm going to hit everybody with a paintball. Heresies. I don't even want to get into heresies. I mean, we could go on to that all day long. But he doesn't quit. Keep going. This is important. Next verse. Envy. Oh, nobody envies anybody, right? They even got, I think there's even a perfume called envy, isn't there? I don't know. Murders. Well, that's pretty. Drunkenness. Revelries. And the like of which I tell you beforehand. And the like of which. Otherwise, he said, I got a lot more than I already told you, but that's enough now. Do I got you? And before, and just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Ain't nobody getting in. <laughs> I mean, this guy not only slaps us silly when it's all done, he knocks us out. No one's getting in. No one's going to inherit the kingdom of God. I mean, come on. Next verse. But the fruit of the Spirit, oh. He doesn't go on about over and over and over about the fruit of the Spirit. He just says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace in the Holy Ghost. Long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. But we know we have an antidote. And he goes on and we find some more. I just wanted to clarify with you the pride and lust of the flesh how ugly it really gets. Now, let's go to Colossians. Well, first of all, Matthew 28, verse 18 through 20. Here's the one. This one bails us out. This one says, all of that is not attributed to you. Not because you're good and don't do any of those things, but because of who Christ is. Colossians, I'm sorry, Matthew 28, 18. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. All authority has been given to Christ in heaven and on earth. And very shortly when we're concluding, we're going to find out what happens when he's in you and we're in him. All authority has been given. You see, that in itself, that's the message of the gospel. All authority is in Jesus Christ. 
You're having trouble or somebody with an addiction, all authority's been given in Christ. You're having problems with pornography, all authority's been given in Christ. Having problems in your marriage, all authority's been given in Christ. You have a disease, all authority's been given in Christ. You got poverty, all authority's been given in Christ. You got anxiety, all authority's been given in Christ. We can go on and on because it's all authority. And we go back to what it said first in Ephesians 1, 3. Blessed be the Father of Jesus Christ from whom all spiritual blessings flow from heaven. Big word, all. And that word contradicts what Paul was tagging us all with. Not that he intended to leave us there. He was just... Have you all ever seen what happens when somebody new comes into a company? It's a big techie thing. They, 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 their first thing to do is to tear everybody down. They tear you down to build you up, to build you up the way they want you to be. And if you don't fit the thing, they tear you down and throw you out. And it's called overboarding. I was just having this conversation with my oldest daughter who just got hired in a new group and she said they're overboarding. I said, sounds to me like waterboarding. And she says they're overboarding and they just, you have to talk to everybody real quick and everything and let them all that's going. And then I says, well, honey, uh, seems like you got a lot of people in that business. Oh yeah, we got to let some go. I said, well, why are you overboarding them? I mean, I said, don't let them go before Christmas, but Hey, what are you going to do, pump them up to let them out? You know, it's called overboarding, and it's called building up. And so all, all means that we have the exact contrast of what we need so that we increase in the wondrous power and, and, and glory of Jesus Christ while we decrease in the flesh because he's got it all covered with all with all authority. So let's go on a little further. It'll start to drop in on you. Colossians 1, verse 9. I'm going to read these scriptures quick because they're important, so just stay with me on the board. For this reason, Colossians 1, starting in verse 9. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Now notice, on part of that antidote, it's to have the knowledge of God, His wisdom and His will, which tells us that what Paul was dealing with with the Colossians were a whole bunch of people that had accepted Jesus Christ but didn't have the wisdom of God and to know what the will of God was. And, that, and that's sort of like being an orphan Christian, isn't it? You accept Jesus Christ, but you don't know what His will is and you don't know what he can do. Or you're not quite sure what he can do. I heard somebody preaching shortly ago that, you know, faith is the substance of things hoped for, right? And so they said, so don't say hope, say faith. But no, no, no. No, 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 no. You can't get to faith without hope. So why would you take hope away from somebody? So you can't pray hope, you just have the faith. But pastor, I don't, I don't have enough of that faith right now. Well, then keep the hope, right? I mean, we get so, so legalistic about stuff. Hope is a wonderful thing. Children have hope that don't even know what faith is. People have hope that don't believe in Jesus Christ, but they're starting with hope, and that hope will bring them to the faith. 
And, and, and so we need to understand wisdom. He said, be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. We need spiritual understanding. And let's go on because it'll explain itself. That you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Whoa! Increasing in the knowledge of God. After all of that, that's the one that I underline and like the most. I can continue to increase in the knowledge of God. Not because I could ever attain it all, but maybe I just didn't think I had the capacity to get it all. Do you understand? That expands my wine sack. That doesn't, that doesn't expand God. That expands my capacity. That expands your capacity. No matter what you have or haven't experienced in your life or what your education is or wasn't, no matter what you've done or haven't done, you've still got a long way to go in increasing in the knowledge of God. And if it says in the Word that you should practice that, that means you can do it. Oh, jeez. If you practice that, that means you could do it. Well, that excites you a little more. Yeah. Next. Strengthen with all might. Come on! Strengthen with all might. You're getting the knowledge of God to strengthen you with what kind of might? All might. He has all authority. All might. All authority. All might. All authority. Whose might? His might. Can his might let out? No. But you have now the capacity to increase with that knowledge according to all of his authority. That's powerful. That's why we can be bold in these days. That's why we can be bolder than we've ever been in these days. Because we are receiving an anointing that's increasing with more knowledge and more power, strengthening us. And then he says, and giving you the capacity for patience and long-suffering with joy. We all could use a little bit of that. And don't pray for patience. Just pray for the wisdom to know all about it. Keep going. Giving thanks to the Father. Thank you, Father. Many times, I'm sure you do too, when I'm done praying with somebody, especially about a miracle or an issue or that, I'd say, keep giving thanks to the Lord. Don't stop. Don't stop thanking Him. Thank Him in the morning. Thank Him in the evening. Thank Him when the sun goes down. Thank Him. Thank Him for the things that you're believing God for. And thank Him for the spiritual blessings that you don't even know you have. Thank Him for the everyday things that you have. You know, I have found it so blessing in my life. When, when I get in my, my truck, I thank God for it. I don't say I love my truck. The last time I said that, somebody stole it. I say, I thank you, Lord, for my truck. Right? And I thank Him for my clothes. I thank him for my wife. I thank him for my grandchildren. I thank him for this church. And, and when you walk around with that attitude of gratitude in your heart, you can't help but have some joy. You can't help. You can't, you can't, you, it, anxiety can't get in because you're not allowing it. You're just being grateful to the Lord who has qualified us to be partakers. Oh, come on, come on, come on, come on. Of the inheritance of the saints. In the light, in the light, he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love. I have so much more, but I'm not going to take that time to get into that with that. I want to deal with this. Let's go to 1 John chapter 2. Now, 
We can also add, you know, when we're talking about increasing in the wondrous majesty and power, we can also add this. 1 John 2, chapter 16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes away, and the lust thereof, but he that does the will of God abides forever. So many times we've talked about the fact that what we have to overcome is the flesh and the world. And do you see how the flesh and the world can't be separated? We can't say, I'm going to deal with the world and then I'll deal with the flesh. The world is a flesh eater. The world is the flesh. And we're going to understand, as Christ said us in parables as well, that when you're a light in the world, the world is going to reject you because you speak a completely different language. And you can't war against the world with the flesh. You can only war against the world with the spirit. If you war in the world or in your flesh with flesh, you're going to lose every time. You're going to lose because the world and the flesh are better at beating you in the world and the flesh than you are at beating them. And they don't quit. And that's why it's so important when we're walking in the Lord that we preserve holiness. You see... We'll make mistakes, we'll blunder, but we need to repair the breach right away. We need to get right on our knees. We say, Lord, forgive me. I know that was wrong. Wash me clean. Protect me. Thank you, Lord, for your blood. And in that instance, when we don't, according to some and many, it's like leaving a gate open. And in that gate, the world and the flesh find their way in along with the evil. And, and, and the enemy comes in like a flood. He may come in and dabble with you shortly till he's got you, then it'll be a flood. And that which you think started with an innocent sin because a conflagration of a whole big problem. We have to keep the gates closed. And when they feel like they're opening, we gotta slam them shut. And I'll tell you why, and you're not gonna like this, because the enemy's not gonna be fair with you. The enemy's not going to be gracious with you and give you some time to make things right. The enemies of your soul, the flesh, the world, the demonic power, they want to destroy you. And they want to take you away from your influence and your power. And if you've ever come to a wall or something where you know that it's just stuck, that's a good time to do some introspection and say, why is it stuck? It's most likely stuck because of me. It's because of you and your life and what you're doing. So we have to unstuck those things. And in those instances, that's when it comes time to allow the Spirit of God to cleanse us again and to repent. Sometimes we have to go make things right that we made wrong. And at the very least, we need to turn away from them and stop. So protect yourself. Protect yourself well. If for no other reason understanding that the enemy... And that, 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 that devil that's devouring you and walking around like a lion wanting to devour you, he's not going to give you mercy. And he's not going to give you time. He's going to come through that hole in your, in your, in your uh, uh, 
help me shield. He's going to come through that hole in your shield very quickly because you're giving him access. Okay. The world system, 1 John 2, same thing. Don't love the world. The Father's not caring about that. Here's the bottom line. The bottom line is, is that when we see all of this, we come back to this knowledge and this understanding. Paul went on further in Ephesians 1, and he said, starting in verse 17, and I only want to read three verses. 17. Ephesians 1, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. The spirit of revelation and knowledge, yes, it can only be administered to us through the Holy Spirit. That's who imparts that to us. But you can have the Holy Spirit and not be operating in the spirit of revelation and knowledge. And we see that all too often. We see all too often many people say, I've, I've received the Holy Spirit, but they're not walking in knowledge and revelation. And there are a lot of times, many times, they're walking in old wine. Not, revelation is the opposite of old wine. Revelation is fresh. Revelation is coming all the time. It could be something you already knew, but it's already bringing it to you in a brand new way. That's why it's the living word. That's why we don't read it one time and forget about it. That's why we go back and we go back and we go back. And as we go back and tie it together from beginning to end, it becomes some living organism that begins to just bring our spirit alive and fill our spirit. That's the spirit of wisdom and revelation. And Paul's crying out and he's saying, may the God of glory give you this spirit. Next verse that the eyes of your understanding may be enlightened. Otherwise, that your eyes are opened up in the Spirit to God. Tells us you can look through a couple lenses, right? What lens are you looking through? The lens of religion, the lens of the world, the lens of human reason, or the lens of the Spirit? What lens are you looking through? And we all have to change those lenses. People come to us with a rationale, right? Especially when it comes down to medical situations. They'll come to you and say, oh, we've seen this many times at stage four, it's all over with. Get your house in order. There's nothing gonna happen. That's the lens of science. That's the lens of medicine. That's the lens of the world. That's not spiritual understanding. So we have to put on a different lens. We gotta change the glasses. And we, we're better off if we train ourselves to walk with this spirit of wisdom and revelation, and that we already process how are we going to respond to things when they come suddenly upon us, because they will come suddenly upon you. No one's going to make it through life without having suddenlies. And we want to already have our mind made up, how am I going to respond to that when it comes? You may not have all the facts, you may not have the exact game plan, but you know one thing, I'm not going to listen to what man is saying to me, I'm going to the Lord. And you'll find out that when you walk with that way, you can deny the things that man tries to put on you, and you may not see 
the, 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 what you're looking for right off the bat, but I like them to say you will see it at some point. And so it's what language we're hearing, what language we're speaking, what we're seeing. And then he says that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. It all comes down to this. Nothing new for those of you have been in this church or been with this teachings, these teachings for a while. But if we go to the book of Philippians 3.10, I want to take a moment because I'm going to end with this. I'm not going to give you all the details. But for those of you who haven't been so instructed, I think it's important that we put the caveat, the cherry on the top with this. Paul's talking to the Philippians. And he gives them a prayer. The prayer is him making a self-confession. He's just got done talking about some of his own issues and weaknesses. And he's basically saying this prayer. That I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, conforming even to his death. Paul pretty much puts it all together in one moment, how to walk. How to walk in victory. How to overcome your own issues. And let's face it, we all feel inadequate. We all feel inadequate. Whether it's now or forever or at one time in the Lord, especially when we're around some people that are really sharp as a tack. We get inadequate. And Paul was saying, this is what I do. He says that I may know him. He says it's most important that I know him. That's primary. That's foundational. But the question is know who? Coming as a Jew, it's to know Adonai, the one and only God. Coming as a believer in Christ, it's to know the triune God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. Now, if you're building on the other Pauline epistles, it might have been enough to say to know Jesus. And you all know that there are Christians out there who preach only Jesus, and there's Christians out there who preach only Father. And it gets into this whole confusing thing how they separated, but they all came back together. And, you know, leave it alone. Leave it alone. And the fellowship and, and the power of his resurrection. So to know him, you have to know the power of his resurrection. It wasn't enough, Paul saying, just know that it's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. But know the power. Because it's the power that's going to help us to get through in the dark. And not only that, but to be overcomers, right? We overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony in these last days. That's what we need. So you need to be, you need to have the power. And that's part of what the Lord was, was speaking to me in the middle of the night, that we increase in the wondrous glory and power of Him. The majesty and power of His glory, that we increase in it. We need to increase in power. It's the power of His resurrection. And the fellowship of His sufferings. And so many have taught that that fellowship means that, you know, we got to moan like Christ moaned. We have to, you know, sit there and, and just cry at the cross. No, the fellowship of his sufferings is understanding that he suffered for you so that you don't have to suffer. That's the fellowship of his sufferings. 
The fellowship of his sufferings is accepting that Christ did it once and for all. And because he did, and you fellowship with him in those sufferings, that you've been raised from the dead in new resurrection, just like he has, and your sin has been buried in baptism, just like he died. That's the fellowship of his sufferings. And being conformed to his death. Being conformed to his death is speaking to your flesh. You've got to crucify the flesh so that the spirit will be alive. He conformed to the death of his flesh so that his spirit could rise and be the firstborn again evermore of a new creation savior. So let's just go real quick. Some of this is really, really repetitive to some of you, but to some of you it is not. And as I was dwelling on this this morning, I realized I need to deal with it. When he says that you may know him in the power of his resurrection, it's to know how he was resurrected. Now, we don't have all the details, but we know who resurrected him, and we know how that power was administered that resurrected him. Why is that important? Because that's the knowledge that we need that gives us the wisdom to not only understand the power, but to walk in the power. If you're walking in the spirit without the power, you know, I liken that unto, you know, having a, a, a jet without enough fuel to fly it. It's no good to you. You might have it, but you can't use it. So when you're walking in the spirit, you need the power. You have to have the power. Somebody say power. I need power. Power is what separates us from the world, to have all power, all dominion, all authority. That's how we become overcomers. That's how the disciples were overcomers. They understood they had all authority and all power. They weren't concerned about what their life was going to end up with. They just knew that in the name of Jesus, not only things were all things possible, but most likely when they were in situations, they were probable. There's a big difference between possible and probable. We need to walk in the probable realm. And the only reason we call it probable is because he's God. He may or may not do this thing the way we want, but it's probable he can. Because he's almighty, and the power in you is almighty. So we look at Romans 6.4. Real quick, go with me. This is it. Then we're going to go release so y'all can eat. Romans 6.4. Therefore, we were buried with him, Jesus, through baptism into death fellowship of his sufferings, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. Somebody say, glory of the Father. Say it again. He was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in that newness of life. Oh, you're getting it. We have to walk in that power of the glory of the Father that raised him from the dead. We must increase in the majesty and power of the glory while we decrease in the flesh. And so we understand that Jesus Christ, for that power of his resurrection, was raised by the glory of the Father. But then we go to Romans 8, 11. This is the Pauline revelation that tags Philippians 3, 10. Romans 8, 11. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Who's the spirit? The Holy Spirit. But we just said 
The glory of the Father raised him from the dead. But now Paul says, but if the Spirit that raised him from the dead dwells in you, you got another bonus here. He'll quicken your mortal life. He dealt with the spiritual life, now he's dealing with your mortal life. He's dealing with the fact that, yeah, you've got all these inheritances in heaven, but you have access to bring the kingdom of heaven from heaven to earth in you right now. So he was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. He was raised from the dead by the same Spirit, the Holy Spirit who dwells in you. It doesn't contradict it. But how did that happen? Let's go to John, real quick, chapter 10, verse 17 and 18. Again, some of you know this very well, and you should, because that's foundational to this ministry about the glory. Jesus says, therefore my Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. Next verse. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself, and I have power to lay it down, and I have power, say power, to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. So he was raised from the glory of the Father by the Holy Spirit who dwells in you, and by his own words, he had the power to command himself to raise from the dead. That is the knowledge and the wisdom of the revelation of the power of his resurrection and the power of God in you. That is the mystery of the glory of God. The Father ministered the glory. The Holy Spirit took the glory, ministered into the grave. Jesus Christ, at some point, when the price was paid, he said, it's all done. I command my life back up again, and the glory came back into him. And he was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, ministered by the Holy Spirit, by his own word. Now, what happens when you release that power in the name of Jesus? What happens? You get the fullness of the Godhead with all power and glory and wondrous majesty released on the benefit of who you are by the faith in Jesus Christ is the power of the resurrection that you walk in and overcome with. That's how we increase in the majesty and wonder and power of His glory and decrease in the flesh and pride and evil of the world. It's by walking in that power of His resurrection with humility and repentance. To God be the glory. A little deep, but not that deep. I think you got it. I think you got it. It's all about Jesus. It's all about what he did and what he can do and what he can do with you. It's all about embracing the full Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. It's all about having the knowledge of who we are. And we need more knowledge. And we can get more knowledge. And it can keep increasing. We should never be satisfied. And we can keep digging, and the Lord will keep giving. One thing I've experienced in my life, the more that I seek Him and the more that I dig, the more that He, he, he dumps out on me. And, and it becomes an excitement in my life that I just can't resist. It, it's a lot of people have hobbies. They, the, the, I don't want to call the Word of God my hobby, but it sure is where I'd rather be is in the Word of God than anything else not on a golf course, nowhere else, and in the Word of God. And you know what? That never lets me down. 
I always find something else that excites me. I start clicking my heels. I start digging harder. And I'll, I'll confess this to you, dude. When I'm all done, I feel like I didn't get there. I feel like there's more. There's more. I've never put the dot on the I and crossed the T. There's always some more. There's always more. And Paul said, I keep going forward, onward and upward, not as if I've already apprehended, right? Keep going. So, if you're listening today or you're here in the house, every head bowed, every eye closed, and you say, Pastor, you know, I've, I've had a religious life. I might have even been baptized as a baby. I don't know. I, I once gave my heart to the Lord, but since then I've sort of stumbled and straggled a little bit. And, or I've never, never had this opportunity. Nobody, nobody ever asked me before. If that's you, every head bowed, every eye closed here in this house, I'm going to ask you, just put your hand up real quick. I'm the only one seeing you. I see you. I see you. And if you're online, same thing. If you're saying, Pastor, I just want to go into this Christmas season knowing that I know that I know that I'm walking right with Lord Jesus. But not only that, that I'm beginning a journey, maybe again and maybe for the first time, a journey that takes me to my everlasting life. Beloved, eternity is real. It's not a joke. And it's not something we don't know about, as that poor priest said. I'll pray for him. How hard that must be to be a priest and not know what to say to people in their grief. We don't need to be those people. Life is eternal. One way or another, your soul's going to go forever, either in heaven or in hell. We're soul snatchers. We're people who want to see everybody that we see in heaven with us. So if that's you, I'd like you to just say this prayer right now, and all of you can say it with me together. Say, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe He came as man in the flesh. He never sinned but he was crucified for sin. And he died for my sins. He descended into hell, paid the price, rose on the third day, ascended unto the Father, and he's my Savior. And by his blood, my sins are washed away. I believe in Jesus. Jesus, be my Lord. Lead me, guide me, keep me. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.